everyone. Welcome to A Good Night for a Murder, the Victorian true crime podcast. My name is Kim, and as a part of being a true crime fan and researching true crime, you learn about some pretty terrible things. And there's many reasons why true crime is fascinating, but I think at some point, every true crime fan has run across a story that's made them stop and be like, I don't know if I can listen to this anymore. Like, there's so many stories where at the end, you're just sitting there like, wow, that was awful. But every once in a while, something redeeming comes out of one of these stories, right? There's a foundation set up, or there's a law that's enacted, and this is one of the things I personally really like about true crime. I'll give you an example. Why do you think it is that if you need a medication, you have to go to a doctor, a board-certified doctor, who will write you a script to be handed directly to the pharmacist, and only the trained certified pharmacist can fill that medication for you? Well, the Pharmacy Act of 1868 is why. Before then, there were zero rules, zero regulation for storing or dispensing of what we today call controlled substances. The story I have for you tonight was a big influencer in correcting that. This is the story of the Bradford Street Poisoning. But first, a Victorian society tip. Seeing as this episode has to do with food safety, I thought I'd take the opportunity to pass along some Victorian dining etiquette. Never eat very fast. Never fill the mouth very full. Never open your mouth while chewing. Never make noise with the mouth or throat. Never attempt to talk with the mouth full. Never leave the table with food in the mouth. Never soil a tablecloth if it is possible to avoid it. Never use anything but fork or spoon in feeding yourself. Never pick your teeth or put your hand in your mouth while eating. Never cut bread. Always break it, spreading with butter each piece as you eat it. Never hesitate to take the last piece of bread or cake. There are probably more. Never hold bones in your fingers while you eat from them. Cut the meat with a knife. Never use your own knife while cutting butter. Always use a knife assigned to that purpose. Never wipe your fingers on the tablecloth, nor clean them in your mouth. Use the napkin. Never allow butter, soup, or other food to remain on your whiskers. Use the napkin frequently. Never pass your plate with a knife and fork on the same. Remove them and allow them to rest upon a piece of bread. Never make an effort to clean your plate or the bones you have been eating from too clean. It looks as if you left off hungry. Never tip back nor lounge upon the table. Neither assume any position that is awkward or ill-bred. Never eat so much of any one article as to attract attention, as some people do who eat large quantities of butter, sweet cake, cheese, or other articles. Never expectorate at the table. Also, avoid sneezing or coughing. It is better to arise quietly from the table if you have the occasion to do either. A sneeze is prevented by placing the finger firmly on the upper lip. Never allow the conversation at the table to drift to anything but chit-chat. The consideration of deep and abstruse principles will impair digestion. Man, that was a lot of nevers. So could you remember them all? Would you be invited back to dinner? Visit me at A Good Night for a Murder on Instagram or TikTok and let me know. The year is 1858. The setting is the Green Market in Bradford, England. William Howdicker is the proprietor of a candy stall in the market where he sells various sweets and treats. One of his top sellers are something called peppermint humbugs. As an American, I'm not super familiar with what humbugs were. They seem to be more popular in Britain, but what they essentially are is small black and white striped peppermint lozenges or hard candies. William Hardiker is so well known for his peppermint humbugs that he's known locally as Humbug Billy. 
Now, Humbug Billy is just the distributor for his popular peppermint humbugs. He purchases the fully made candies from a man named Joseph Neal a few streets over. Joseph Neal is in the business of making the candies and has at least one, if not more, employees that assist him. Joseph Neal, in turn, buys his ingredients from Charles Hodgson, a druggist who owns and manages a pharmacy about three miles away. So on October 29 of 1858, Neil has an order to fill for Humbug Billy, and he asks one of his lodgers, James Archer, to please stop by Hodgins Pharmacy to pick up one of the ingredients he needs, which is something called DAF. DAF is actually powdered gypsum. It's plaster, essentially. And if you're wondering why that would be an ingredient for candy, it has to do with the price of sugar back then. Sugar was very expensive, and it was very common to mix sugar with this daff, as it was called, to cut costs, and this was sold to the working class. It for sure doesn't taste as good, but it wasn't particularly harmful. And this adoration of foodstuffs was super common. It wasn't illegal. No one tried particularly hard to hide it. As long as no one got hurt, it was just another way to stretch your food budget. So Archer heads to Hodgson's pharmacy to buy the daff, but Hodgson is sick that day and can't serve him. Instead, Hodgson's assistant, William Goddard, helps out, but he can't find the daff that Archer is asking for, so he has to go back and ask Hodgson where the daff is. Hodgson describes to him the location where it is in the attic and what the container looks like, and Goddard is then able to find it. He sells Archer the daff, who takes it back to the candy maker, Joseph Neal. One of Neal's employees, James Appleton, who is described as an experienced sweet maker, receives the ingredients and gets to work making the peppermint humbugs for that night. Appleton finishes the batch, and he looks at them, and he's like, you know, they came out a little darker than usual. So he shows his boss, but Neil says they're fine, and he waits for Humbug Billy to come pick up his order. When Humbug Billy arrives, he too is like, what's up with the color? They're darker than usual. And he uses this point to negotiate a discount on the batch, which Neil grants him, and he takes 40 pounds of the a little too dark lozenges to sell at a stall that night. He opens up shop for the night, and before he closes, he sold five pounds of humbugs to his customers. The next morning, the deaths of two young boys, ages 9 and 11, are reported. Officials believe the deaths were caused by cholera, not an uncommon cause of death at the time. Then, as the day goes on, more and more reports are coming in of people becoming very suddenly and violently ill. The symptoms were described as great retching, vomiting, pain, and burning of the throat, intense thirst, pain in the abdomen, and diarrhea. Doctors trying to treat these patients start diagnosing these people with symptoms of arsenic poisoning. Good old-fashioned police work fairly quickly identifies the source of the poisoning as these peppermint humbugs from Humbug Billy's green market stall. So they go speak to Humbug Billy, and they find he himself is also laid up in bed sick, having consumed his own candy. He points them to Neil, the candy maker, where they find that Appleton, Neil's employee who made the candies, is also sick, as well as suffering great pain in his hands and arms from handling the arsenic-tainted candy. Neil says, Dear God, the only thing new was this daff I purchased to cut the sugar with, which I got from Hodgins Pharmacy. Investigators rush as quickly as they can to Hodgins Pharmacy, where they all realize to their horror that Hodgins assistant Goddard accidentally sold Archer 12 pounds of arsenic trioxide, a very powerful poison instead of DAF that was then made into candies. Both arsenic trioxide and DAF are white powders. They look exactly alike, and they were sitting right next to one another in the pharmacist's shop and were poorly labeled. It's sometime in the evening by the time this is sorted out, and two bellmen, like the town criers, travel through the streets from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m., waking people and spreading the word about the peppermint humbugs from Humbug Billy's stall. 
They also wake a printer in the middle of the night to print flyers warning people of the dangerous candies, which are posted throughout the city by morning. In the end, 21 people died and upwards of 200 were sickened that day. It was estimated that each candy contained 14 to 15 grains of arsenic, where a lethal dose only requires four and a half grains. Enough candies have been sold that night to kill 2,000 people, but luckily they were able to get the news out fast enough to save more than a few souls. First, Goddard, the pharmacist assistant, was arrested, but shortly thereafter, pharmacist Hodgson and candy maker Neal were arrested as well. All three were brought up on manslaughter charges through negligence, but in the end, the entire incident was ruled to be a horrible series of errors and all three were acquitted. The resulting public outcry for better regulation was a major contributing factor that led to the Pharmacy Act of 1868, which puts the responsibility on the chemist and druggist as a custodian and seller of poisons. Victorians used the word poisons to refer to literal poison, but also to all medicines as well. I believe the act also defines the qualifications who can be a pharmacist. So the assistant or shop clerk isn't allowed to dole out medications anymore. It has to be someone trained. It also introduced regulation for clearer record keeping and requiring of a signature for certain substances. So kind of a short one this week, but an important story to tell, I think. I do agree this is just a gross series of errors, though nowadays the law will come down on that pharmacist. He was lazy about labeling his product, and I don't like that. But what do you guys think? Do you agree with the fact that everyone's acquitted, or do you think someone should have been held responsible? I mean, 20 people lost their lives. If you head over to Instagram or TikTok at a good night for a murder, you can let me know there, plus see some photos, mostly old cartoons this week, sort of a public commentary on how this happened. And also some photos of what the heck humbug candies are. Let me know if these are still a thing in Britain or anywhere. Like I said, I'd never heard of them. You can also see the photos on the episode blog and all source links on my website at a goodnightforamurder.com. You can also sign up for the Goodnight for a Murder newsletter on the website. Each month I send an episode roundup, reveal of next month's episodes, and other goodies like book recommendations and extra Victorian society tips. The bonus content for Housekeeper and Butler tier Patreons for this episode is one more story of a deadly ingredient swamp. To subscribe to Patreon and learn more about the podcast, you can visit goodnightforamurder.com. Also, follow me on Instagram or TikTok at A Good Night for a Murder. Please rate and review and share with friends. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you again soon.